going to be reading the passage for our sermon. As you know, we've been going through the sermon series, If Love Called Your Name, How Would You Respond? And last week we looked at Mary, and this week we're going to look at Joseph and the challenges that Joseph faced as he was confronted with this message of the coming of the Christ. This is Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 1, 18 through 24. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But, I think this is 25, had no union with her until the child was born. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Christmas continues to be in full swing, doesn't it? All the trappings are out there. You know, one of my favorite things about Christmas is the Christmas movies that come out. Okay? My family, we're really big into watching the Christmas movies. One of my favorite movies is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay, what does Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer have to do with Jesus and Christmas? I have no idea. But it's a great story. You know, the little claymation and Burl Ives as the snowman? That's good stuff. What we do with our families, we, we have a Rudolph party where we actually bake reindeer cookies and put on antlers and a little red dot on the nose. My, my oldest is like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get him this time. And then we have a little game, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer trivia game, which is very exciting. I hope probably all of us play this together. I, you know, you play it too. So I've, I have pulled out a question from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer trivia game. Are you ready? Yukon Cornelius... The prospector was prospecting for A, gold, B, silver, C, diamonds, or D, peppermint. Peppermint is right. You get big money. Congratulations. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So that's one of my favorite shows, as it is for all of us. But the other one is uh, the Christmas special with Charlie Brown. Isn't that great where... He gets that little tree, that little embarrassing, pathetic tree, and he's just like, rot, you know, nothing works for me, Charlie Brown. And one of my favorite scenes in the Christmas Charlie Brown special is where they're all like, what, what is Christmas about? And then Linus kind of walks up on the stage with his little blanket, and he starts reading the Christmas story from the book of Luke. And he goes all the way through and shares that Christmas is about Jesus. Fantastic uh, uh, special. But as you all know, my favorite movie, again, It's a Wonderful Life, which I, uh, was my first date with my wife 20 years ago, It's a Wonderful Life. We saw it actually this past week. I shared with you that it was our anniversary, and we saw it in color. Have you seen the color version? I don't like it. 
I don't like it. I like the black and white version. It's kind of old. It looks kind of weird or whatever. But uh, nevertheless, we saw that movie, and it brought back all memories of that first date and, and uh, you know, blossoming love and all those great things. And, you know, as I was reflecting upon that date, how my life changed so much. You know, I walked into that movie theater with Leon, walked out, and, and something had sparked there. And, you know, how does love start? I, I don't know how love starts. It just does. And, but we started dating, and, you know, I kept on asking her out. She kept on saying yes. Lo and behold, three years later, I came to this conclusion. I realized this is the person I'm going to marry. You know, sometimes you ask the question, well, how do you know when, when she's the one? Well, you just know. I don't know how to answer that question. You just know. So I knew that it was, she was the one for me to marry, and I wanted everything to be perfect. Okay, so I had to ask her just the right way. And there's only one place to ask a woman if you want to ask her the perfect way. And that is on the steps of the rotunda of the University of Virginia. Okay? Every Hokie fan is with me on this. We all know that's marriage central right there, the rotunda. So I got this idea. I'm going to do a catered, you know, dinner on the steps of the rotunda. Got my buddy Steve, and we got a table, and some music, and a little wine, and a nice meal. And I put a little note on the door, because Leon was out of town, and she was coming back into Charlottesville. And I just sat up there waiting, as a hawk waits for his prey to come. <laughs> and lo and behold, she came. We had a wonderful dinner, great time. At the end of it, get down on one knee, go ahead and propose to her. She was blindsided by the meal and the wine and therefore said yes, and the rest is history. We've been married for 14 years. 17. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shaking now. The sermon's shot. I'm shaking. I'm shaking. 17 years. Seems like just yesterday. It's been so special. What's my, point of, what's my point of this? <laughs> what is my point of this? <laughs> you know, we all have a picture of the perfect life, don't we? The perfect marriage, the perfect house, the perfect community, even the perfect church. It's a perfect life. We, we have this image in our head. Where did it come from? I don't know. It probably started when we were watching those Disney movies when we were a kid, of, and they lived happily ever after, and it's the perfect life, and we're all kind of looking for that. But the question is, how do we find the perfect life? You know, in that perfect marriage, you, you wake up one day and you look over to the side and she hasn't done her hair that day and she hasn't done the makeup and, you know, and you, and you realize, oh my gosh, she's just a normal person. Now, I'm speaking in theoreticals here, of course, because that doesn't happen with Leo. And every day I'm dazzled by her beauty, but perhaps you can relate to that. I, I can't. But maybe she wakes up one day and she looks at you and you're, you know, kind of being grouchy and selfish and rude and boorish and all sorts of stuff. And she says to myself, where, where was this Prince Charming that I remember on the steps of the University of Virginia Rotunda? Again, speaking in theoreticals, I, I really don't. But the reality is that we're looking for this perfect life, but the fact is it doesn't exist. See, there's no such thing as a perfect life. There's only a perfect God. If you go looking for the perfect life, you'll never find it. But if you entrust your life to the perfect God, the perfect life will find you. 
That's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about Joseph, a guy who was in search of the perfect life. And Joseph was confronted with a challenge. Two ways he could go. The perfect life that he had dreamed for himself or the life that God had for him. Which would he choose? Which will we choose? This story of Joseph teaches us three things that we need to know on this journey to the perfect life. Number one, God demands everything of us for himself. He demands all, everything of us for himself. But number two, even more astounding than that, is God gives everything of himself for us. If he demands all, he gives all. And then finally, if we seek to embrace his perfect life, God replaces our so-called perfect life our perfect life with his. So let's look at these thoughts as we go on the quest for the perfect life. Number one, God demands everything of us for himself. Let's talk a little bit about Joseph. He's a normal guy. You know, so often we think of these guys in the Bible and they're two-dimensional characters or saints larger than life. He was just a normal guy like you and me, if you're a guy, of course. He was probably about 18 to 20 years old. He was, because that was about the time that Israelite men proposed to women. Women were usually somewhere between 12 and 16 years old. And the reason that men proposed a little bit late is because they needed to save up a little money, start get, getting their life going. So Joseph was a carpenter. He had a marketable skill. He was a small businessman with his whole life ahead of him. And he had a future. He had a dream of the future, just like all young guys have a dream for the future. And one of those was the girl. He wanted to pick out the girl because, as we all know, it's important to have the right girl. For a lot of girls may not understand this, but guys do. A, a wife is sort of an extension of oneself. Okay? He's, this is the way it works. You see, I, I was brilliant in selecting Lee Ellen because people come and they talk to me and they look at me and they go, mm, well. But then they look at Lee Ellen and they talk to Lee Ellen, and they say, wait a second, this guy can't be all bad because she married him. So I guess, it, I guess it's okay. So Joseph wanted this wife that would be an extension of himself as he went off in this quest for the perfect life, to, to be the person in the community, in a culture that was saturated with honor. This was critical. And so he chose wisely. He chose Mary. He probably had never spoken with her alone before because that wasn't permitted. He may have never spoken with her at all. But for some reason, he knew she was the one for him. And so he went to their fam uh, her family. She was poor, just like he was. But she was a descendant of David, just like he was. And so it seemed like a good fit. And so he betrothed her to himself. Technically, they were married Though they could not come together, they could not consummate the marriage until about a year later when the wedding day was. But technically, she belonged to him. Her parents were her in-laws. And so Joseph got busy getting together a house or a room on a house of his parents' house where he would bring Mary in and they would have this beautiful, perfect life together. Well, as we all know what happened, Mary heard from the angel that she was going to bear the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures tell us that Mary almost right away hurried off to visit Elizabeth and was gone for about three months. And so Joseph is busy working. And then three months later, Mary, who has been carrying the Son of God, comes back into town. Can you see the picture as Mary comes back in showing the baby? 
can you see the community looking at Mary, instantly coming to conclusions? See, they had two looks. They looked at Mary, and then they looked at Joseph. What are you going to do about this, Joseph? And Joseph's life started to fall apart. Gone was this picture of the perfect life that he had been shaping. The wife, the house, the career, all the things that he had wanted, all of a sudden came to a screeching halt. What was Joseph going to do? From a legal perspective, the answer was easy. Roman law and Jewish law demanded that a man divorce his wife for unfaithfulness. It was an open and shut case. No one would have said any different. In fact, Roman law said that a man who did not divorce his wife for unfaithfulness was considered a panderer who exploited his wife as a prostitute. From a future career perspective, the answer was easy, wasn't it? Mary had just moved from an asset to a liability. She now was a drag on his career. To continue on with Mary was to put a whole stop on everything that he had been dreaming of. What was he going to do? Well, the answer was easy, wasn't it? Joseph knew what to do. He had to divorce her. He had to walk away. He had to start over. It was the right thing to do. And yet we see a little bit of the character of Joseph in the manner in which he resolved to divorce her, that he was going to do it quietly. He was just going to write her a certificate of divorce. He could have gone to court. He could have impounded the dowry, gotten back the bride price, really put his stamp on, none of this belongs to me. I wash my hands of it. But he was going to do it quietly because he was a righteous man. And so Joseph went to bed. But in that uh, time of sleep, a dream occurred. When the angel came to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's it. Two sentences and then the angel was gone. Think about that night that Joseph had as he pondered what the angel had talked to him. This conflict. We don't know what went on in his head. I, would have told, I, I could tell you what might have gone on, certainly what would have gone on in my head. God, this isn't fair. I had my whole life planned ahead of me. I, I've been a righteous man. I've done the right things. And lo and behold, if I go ahead and take Mary in, do you know what everybody's going to say? What they're going to do? How they're going to look at me? My dreams for the perfect life are over. Can you relate to that? Maybe in a small way you've said those same things to God as well. God, I had this plan for my life. I wanted this job and this career track and this path, but I didn't get it, and now I don't even have a job, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out life, and it doesn't seem like you're for me, and I, I don't know what to do. This isn't fair. This isn't part of the perfect life that I had planned. Or you marry, and you're in this marriage, and all of a sudden there are challenges, and you know, you can't quite see eye to eye, and you're asking the question, God, this, this isn't fair. This isn't what I signed up for. I want to do the right thing. I want to have the perfect life. Where, where are you? I wonder if Joseph also asked the question, but God, can I, can I have both? Can I do the right thing and raise Jesus? But you just sort of wind back the clock and we'll just do this a different way so I don't have to be diverted from my career path, the perfect life that I had planned. 
But we see that this was the plan that God had for Joseph. Listen in the beginning. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. This was planned. Over 700 years ago, Isaiah remarked, but the virgin will be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The baby that was in Mary's womb was the one who was foreordained to come, and Joseph was foreordained to be the husband. The perfect life was not the life that Joseph envisioned for himself. What does this teach us about God? I think it teaches us two things. The first is God demands everything of us for himself. Everything. God demanded Joseph's future, his vision, his hopes, his dreams, his wife, his wedding night. God wanted all of it, everything. And God demands the same thing of us. There isn't one square inch of this earth or one square inch of your life that God does not say, this belongs to me. Why? Because he is God and everything we have belongs to him. Listen to Psalm 103, 103. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible. He is before all things and all things hold together. All things were created by him and for him. And Jesus calls all who are his people to follow him. He said, look, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And finally, Luke 14, in the same way, he who will not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. But there's a second reason why God demands everything of us for himself. Because he is the only one who can take our lives where they need to go. See, that analogy that God constantly uses between him and his people is that of the shepherd and the sheep. Had a chance this summer or this fall with Liel and, uh, uh, where her parents' house are to spend some time looking at sheep. And let me tell you, sheep are very dumb. Extremely dumb. They'll follow each other in a circle. One starts wandering, the other starts wandering. They have no clue where they need to go. They need guidance. Maybe you can relate to being a sheep when we've tried to direct our life and get it into the path where we want it to go, independent of God. See, every one of us has a map that we keep in our back pocket of our hearts and our minds. It's the map of where we want to go. And we've sort of started plotting out this map from the beginning of the perfect life. It'll start here, and we'll go to college here, and then we'll get married here. And we'll move to this place, and we'll start this job here, and then we'll get this house. And then at age 32, we'll switch, and we'll go to this house, and then we'll get in this club, and so on and so on, as we seek to map out the perfect life. But as we all know, it doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> we get sidetracked. Things come up unexpectedly. Whether because of us or because of someone else, we find ourselves in a place where we don't know why we're there. You know, it's interesting what C.S. Lewis said. I think the problem with this map living is we're never going to get to the place where we're looking. And you know why? Because the destination isn't on the map. 
you can never get from point A to point B on that map. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find my, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The books or music in which we thought the beauty of was will betray us if we trust in them, for they are not the thing themselves. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a true tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. See, the place you desire cannot be found on the map because the place you desire is not a place but a person. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. If you go searching for the perfect life, you'll never find it. But if you entrust your life to the perfect God, you will find the perfect life because God will give you the life that you really wanted. Let me ask you, where's your perfect life? Where's your X marks the spot? I love those commercials with ING or IMG. What's your number? Where's your spot? How will you know when you have arrived? Here's a hint. It, said, it goes something like this in your head. When I have X, then I will have arrived. When that job situation finally comes around, when she finally changes, when I finally get that, when that business deal finally closes, then I will have arrived. Well, how's it going on the map of life? See, we're in either two places on this map. We may have stalled out over here on our map of the perfect life. And whatever that destination is seems impossibly far from us. We can never get there. And so we feel frustration and anger and bitterness. Or even worse, we've made it all the way down the trail. But we discover as we get to that point, it's not quite where we thought it would be. It's just a little bit further. I grew up in Texas, and we would drive, uh, you know, in the countryside all the way down to South Texas. And in Texas, in the shimmering heat, when you're driving down, you can always see a mirage. It's a shimmering water. It's like an oasis. It looks out there. And as a kid, I would think, oh, it'll just be a little bit further, and then we'll arrive, and we'll get to drive through the water. But the reality is we never arrived. We never got there because it is a mirage. Could it be that this whole thing is just a myth? It's just an endless loop that we go around and around and around. God demands everything of us for himself because he has the perfect life for us. But if God demands everything for himself, this brings me to my second point, he gives everything of himself for us. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Cassie Bernal, a 17-year-old girl who was most known for her role in the Columbine shooting on April 1999. Cassie was the girl in the library when uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold walked into the library after shooting up the place, and they turned to Cassie and they said, do you believe in God? And Cassie said, yes. And they shot her right then and there and killed her. But her story is a very interesting one. You see, if you had played the tape back in Cassie's life two years ago, before, you would not have been able to distinguish her from Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold. She dressed in all black and wore heavy black makeup and satanic symbols and wrote letters in which she fantasized about killing her parents and killing teachers and killing her friends and then killing herself. 
It's interesting. If you had read the letters of Eric Harris and read the letters of Cassie Bernal, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. But something happened to Cassie Bernal. Her parents became so alarmed with her violence and her anger that they decided, we've got to pull her out of this school. And they pulled her out and they put her in a Christian school and they put her on a virtual lockdown. She couldn't go anywhere except for one place. She could go to youth group. And she hated youth group. But it was the only way for her to be able to get out. So she would go. And a couple of friends befriended Cassie Bernal and began to share the love of Christ with her. And Cassie went on a retreat. And she heard the love of God. And she was changed. She came back. Her parents remarked when she got on the bus, she was a sullen, angry, bitter girl. But when she came off the bus, after having given her life to Christ, she went straight to her parents and she said, Mom, I've changed. I've totally changed. I know you're not going to believe it, but I will prove it to you. And Cassie began to follow Jesus. This was the note that Cassie wrote the morning before she was killed in Columbine when she was writing to her friend. She said, it's so hard to remember that his timing is not our timing, that he knows best. I need to learn to trust, to be faithful and trusting, and choose his will. P.S. Honestly, I want to live completely for God. It's hard and scary, but totally worth it. How could someone transform such a way from being someone who wanted to kill their parents to wanting to live for God? The answer is a God who gives everything of himself for us. See, why did Joseph have this problem in the first place? Why would he have to take care of this child in the first place? It was because the all-powerful God of the universe was condescending to come down and to be a human baby for us. Think of the irony, the all-powerful God of the universe being helpless, the one who created the stars in the sky and counted the sand in the seashore would need to be taught how to write and read Hebrew. The one who clothed the atmosphere of the earth would need to be clothed in diapers. The indestructible God would need to be parented by an 18-year-old kid. See, God came to earth as a man to rescue us, and to do that, he had to become one of us. Hebrews 2.14 puts it this way, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their life were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, you and me. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If Joseph had to suffer the inconvenience of having to parent Jesus, Jesus had to suffer the ultimate inconvenience of having to be parented. Joseph was called to die to the perfect life he had planned for him, but Jesus' perfect life plan for him was to die. It's ironic that this entire story here with Joseph is couched in this problem of marriage because God talks about his relationship with his people as that of the bridegroom and the bride. And God took his people to himself in a marriage ceremony 
prefigured in Israel. He wrote a covenant with them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no gods before you. You shall not bow down and worship them because I am a jealous God. But the truth of the matter is we were not faithful to God, were we? Mankind was not faithful. Romans 1 says, for all have sinned. Excuse me, no one is righteous, no, not one of them. In Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what was God's reaction? Could have written a certificate of divorce, couldn't he? Sent us off, done with them. They weren't faithful to me. But no, God knew. He, his heart desired his people so much that he came to earth and became a man that he suffered the humiliation that we should have borne for our unfaithfulness to God. They were put on him. By his wounds we are healed, though we are the sheep who have gone astray. See, the reason God wants all of us is the same reason a husband wants all of his wife, because he loves us with a jealous love. What is the application for us? Joseph responded. He woke up. He brought Mary in to live with him. How do we respond? See, some of us think that God is the God, that big guy up in the sky. He's out to get us. He demands everything of us, but he gives nothing of himself. Why would I turn myself over to such a God? But in Jesus Christ, we see the love of God made manifest that though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to challenge you to allow yourself to be loved by God with the love that he intended to have for you and me. But that involves giving up our perfect life so that we can embrace the perfect life that he has for us. Joseph did that. He got up. He went. He found Mary. He took Mary into his home. The perfect life that he had in his mind was gone. He experienced shame, ostracism from the community, probably couldn't find work. His wedding night consisted of playing Parcheesi, taking a cold shower, and going to bed. <laughs> they had to flee and go to Egypt because all the babies were going to be killed by King Herod. In fact, we don't know how long Joseph lived. If we look at the gospel story, we see that Joseph wasn't in uh, Jesus' life as he got older. And so most likely he died when Jesus was young and Jesus had to take over the family business. But what did he receive by choosing this life? He got to parent the Messiah, a front row seat with the Son of God, to feel the love that a father has for his child. You know, I'm blessed with having been able to adopt a child, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle how God gives you a heart of love for this child who wasn't yours and becomes yours. I can't tell the difference between the love I have for my adopted child and the rest. I can't tell. It's the difference. There's no difference. And Joseph got to experience that. It's neat growing up and watching your children as they grow up and the strange things that they say and the unusual insights they have. Can you imagine if Jesus was your son? How do you deal with that one? And uh, Joseph got to experience God the Father whispering in his ear, hey, do it this way. Joseph experienced the wonder of the perfect life that God had for him. 
I want to close with a couple of thoughts. This was Cassie Bernal. She wrote something very interesting in a letter she wrote about a year before she was killed. She said, I'm just so thankful to God for everything he's done for me, as well as for other, others. Even when things are bad, he stood next to me, and things are a little less prone to being blown out of proportion by my emotions. You know, I wonder what God is going to do with my life, like my purpose. Some people become missionaries and things, but what about me? What does God have in store for me? Where do my talents and gifts lie? For now, I'll just take it day by day. I'm confident that I'll know someday. Maybe I'll look back at my life and think, oh, so that was it. Isn't it amazing, this plan we're a part of? Was that the perfect life that Cassie would have picked? No. But it was the perfect life that God had for her. And that's the life that we're really looking for, isn't it? How will you respond? Let me give you two practical tips of how Joseph and Cassie respond. You see, they put their yes to God on the table long before they knew what the question was. They had already answered it. My answer, God, is yes. I'm not exactly sure where you're going to take me in this life, but my answer is wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. That's why I think it was so easy for Joseph to get up after hearing that dream and to walk right over there to Mary's house and to bring her in because he'd already said yes. See, Cassie already had said yes too to God even before she knew the question. The way that we start living God's life is to say yes to God and his plan rather than the plan that we have so intricately mapped out for our lives. Will it be easy? No. Will it be the life that we've envisioned? No. Can I have it both ways? No. I remember Doug Burley, the president of Young Life. We were at a Young Life camp, and he was sitting, and he was talking with some people about what it meant to follow Christ, and some teenage girls who were right there, they said, you mean if I follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to like get up and go be a missionary and go give my life away and do something like that? And I'll never forget what Doug Burley said. He said, I don't know. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I only know that he's going to watch over you and take care of you. And that's what God calls for us as well. But the second point I want to make is if you say yes to God, God doesn't leave us bereft of knowledge. In other words, well, how do I start walking in this life? And by the way, it doesn't matter where you are on this map. The place where you are supposed to be is exactly the place where God wants you to be right now for doing what God has called you to do. See, God has given us tools for the journey. And this is one right here. See, we don't need to wait for the dream to come because the dream of the angel speaking has already been given to us. God has given us his field guide so that we might understand to walk through this life. So often we don't get to choose whatever comes our way, but we can choose how we respond to it because we know how God would have us respond to it through his word. So I want to challenge you to stop scrutinizing the map so closely and to start scrutinizing his word so closely that would guide us. That's why we have a book table over there as well that's full of great books dealing with how do I deal with these particular issues? What's the biblical perspective on marriage or, or parenting or workplace and so forth and so forth? That if we seek to be led by God, 
He will guide us in the right direction. And the final thing he gives us is his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, listen, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come and be with you. And furthermore, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, I will show you the path that you are to live. But apart from me, you can't do nothing. Well, I conclude with this. Perfect life is not a place. It's a person. If you go looking for the perfect life, you'll never find it. But if you entrust your life to the perfect God, God will bring his perfect life to you. Joseph did it. Cassie Bernal did it. Most of all, Jesus did it. And by his grace, we can do it too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Jesus who endured the cross, scorning its shame, because he was the first one to say yes to God. God, where you go, I'll go, and where you go, I'll stay, all the way to the cross if necessary. And yes, it was. And he, for the joy before him, got up on that cross and redeemed his people. Lord, give us the courage to take our eyes off the map that we've so intricately put together for our lives of our perfect life so that we may embrace you and the perfect life that you have called to us uh, to live, Lord. Lord, help us to pick up your scriptures which show us the way in which we would walk. Help us to submit to your Holy Spirit by which you guide us by these scriptures. Lord, help us to be a people that are sold out for you, that have already said yes before you even tell us what the question is. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.